Tuesday, July 8th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker. Happy Tuesday, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, <laughs> um, once again, another episode that begins uh, probably 10 minutes too late, because the previous 10 minutes, much of which was spent breaking down the business of Pop-Tarts. We covered a lot of ground. We covered a lot of ground with Pop-Tarts. Maybe we'll, we'll circle back to that. But let's. Um, uh, we, we do have uh, some pharmaceutical news. Uh, we're going to dip into the full mailbag. Um, but I want to touch on something that we talked about yesterday and get your thoughts on this. Uh, yesterday's episode was entirely an earnings preview. Today, after the market closes, Alcoa will report. That will... Very exciting. <laughs> It is. It is yeah, exciting. It's, it's exciting for the people at earnings season. It is. Um, I'm curious as we head into earnings season, is there anything in particular you are watching? Anything you're looking for? One of the things I said yesterday, uh, I'll just reiterate, which is that I, I think this is the quarter of almost no excuses, given the market performance of the last six months and the fact that pretty much everyone who wanted a pass and took a pass due to the severe winter weather, got one. I think this quarter, it could be harsh for companies that don't really deliver. So, you're you're not taking any excuses. You're not saying companies won't be offering excuses. Oh, no. Oh, no. Companies will be offering <laughs> excuses. But I think that, again, like three months ago, where a lot of companies, I would say the majority of companies, got the benefit of the doubt due to the severe winter weather, I think this time around, it could be we could see some pretty big sell-offs in the wake of earnings that don't really measure up. Well, I think that one thing that that shows is that you're a typical American, <laughs> and that you do, you haven't thought about the rest of the world at all. Like, oh, well, our weather has been good here the last three months, so there are no excuses. Whereas in the rest of the world, things have been happening. And that is going to come into play, uh, particularly for companies that have a lot of business in Latin America, and and you know that have earnings that are heavily affected by exchange rates. Uh, there are going to be excuses that you are going to hear, and it's got to do with foreign currency exchange and the problems in Argentina and Venezuela. Uh, so yes, it, the weather excuse is gone, and and. It, in the U.S., there will be oh, there's some consumer confidence issues and things like that. But I would I would agree that if they're trotting out that kind of thing, that they're hiding something else. Is there any company in particular that you are the most curious about to see how they do, either because they really need a hit, or, or because I own lots of shares, or of it? because that, you that's own that's lots the company, whatever that is. Exactly. No, I mean, I I think there there's so many different. Stories going on. Uh, I would be hard pressed to come up with one uh, story. I, I think, uh, but if I, I, Amazon might be something where I'd like to hear what their timetable is for actually turning some profits uh, has become. You know, maybe, maybe we'll go into that. You don't think they'll actually answer that question, though, do you? Uh, no, no. <laughs> but I think that you can always sort of triangulate uh, an answer for yourself from what they do tell you. And so I'd I'd be pretty interesting in their pretty interested in their earnings this year. This uh, one of the stories that you uh, tipped me off to this morning uh, is about Disney, and it's really about the the run Disney has been on as a company. 
Um, and I think we've talked about this before. The the movie portion of the business tends to get a lot of attention, but in terms of what it means to the bottom line, you look at overall revenue. I think the studio business for Disney is somewhere in the neighborhood of eight, you know, nine, maybe ten percent. Uh, that being said, the ripple effect of Frozen, and what a huge hit that has been. What that means for merchandising. What that means for you know spinoffs, additional entertainment, a Broadway show a new ice show, all that sort of thing. And, oh, by the way, the World Cup, which is being broadcast on Disney-owned properties, ESPN and ABC, it's really it's really quite a hot streak that you're, the you're business calling. is. When is this Broadway show coming out? Um, you know, I didn't read all the way to the bottom of the article. <laughs> so I, um, I and mean, I sent you the article, yeah. and I didn't uh, read all the way to the I, bottom. I, I don't know so. that they've said. I think, that, I think they're looking at... Um, as soon as they're ready. As soon as, as they're soon ready. As they're ready. They got to get, get line everything up. Well, and again, if you're just looking at the entertainment part of the business, they got plenty of stuff coming uh, over the next two years between the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, which I think comes out next month or maybe later this month. They've got another Avengers movie next year. They've got the Star Wars movie in late 2015. Pixar's next movie coming in 2015. So. They, it's insane, they, you know. They, they can take their time. Blockbusters they've got coming up. Where where the next Star Wars movie kind of gets thrown into a large list of, of similarly big projects, uh, and and the you know the theme parks and and as you say the World Cup um, and even without World Cup ESPN is is a monster and uh, yeah Disney's been doing it right. Uh, to a remarkable degree ever since uh, management changed, which is sometimes the case <laughs> for companies. Uh, before we move on to the pharmaceutical news, I, when you look at ESPN and the rise of the cost of sports programming, there are some people who are starting to write, we are headed for a bubble in that universe, that there's no way to sustain the amount of money that is being thrown at the NFL, the NBA, et cetera, et cetera. Do you agree with that? Is that because you're a sports fan and you're an analyst? Uh, is do, do you think that that is a mini bubble? Not exactly, because I think there's a su- supply and demand equation. So you can't really look at the past uh, as a great indicator here. That is. You and I are sports fans and and TV fans, and I do you see commercials on TV? Uh, only do you watch programs? Only when I'm watching uh, live sports, right? And 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 that is that's the equation, right? I mean, if you want to get a TV commercial in there, and that is the uh, vehicle that most uh, ad, uh, brands and advertisers know still. Um, as, as the way to get things across, it, it, they're just all skipped over in, in network TV, and no, nobody watches live TV anymore. So, uh, except for sports, that's a little bit of an overstatement to say nobody no, watches live I've TV. Researched it, and nobody <laughs> is watching, except for sports. Uh, and and you know, if you're watching your kids watch TV, they they skip through every commercial, right? Uh, and so, you've got the. The demand for getting commercials in front of eyeballs and the supply of spots and, and hours and minutes that actually are available uh, is is contracting all the time. And it's it's becoming just uh, sports programs, uh, a few other vehicles, I guess. But 
Um, that is the fuel behind that equation. So I don't think it's necessarily a bubble. Pharmaceutical news today. Uh, the pharmaceutical firm AbbVie has increased its bid for Shire uh, to $51 billion. Here's why this is noteworthy. AbbVie is based in the United States. Shire is based in Ireland. This is the fourth offer that AbbVie has made for Shire. This bid represents an increase of about 11% over the previous bid, and yet shares of both are falling. I am assuming that's because people don't think Shire will actually accept this bid, and maybe in the case of AbbVie, shares falling slightly because maybe people think they're overreaching. Losing their minds, yeah. Well, it, it, it's got a lot to do with the tax regime in Ireland and the attractive uh, economics of moving your operations, at least nominally, to Ireland and, and benefiting from their lower tax structure there. Uh, this is the same reason uh, that Medtronic uh, announced that it had uh, bought Covidian and will be uh, moving their HQ uh, to Ireland. So this is going to continue to happen as long as there is an economic reason uh, for these deals. It's very obvious uh, they'll continue. And, and if Shire is not bought by AbbVie in this round or the next round or somebody somebody else who can you know gain uh, an economic advantage by the same sort of transaction is going to be back uh, making an offer. So sooner or later, uh, Shire's uh, shareholders will get behind the idea of getting some of that money because it, it's already. I think they've made an offer. AbbVie has a, a, a 48% higher than what Shire was trading at prior to the first offer, you know, being announced. So uh, there is a great value in, in the location of these companies, and they're sooner or later, they're, they're going to realize that. Why do you think we're seeing this playing out in the pharmaceutical industry? Because I have to believe that there are other industries that, if they're not contemplating this, they are watching this closely. Yes. And I think you have a couple of major pharmaceutical companies that already were in Ireland. And so it's they, they're at a scale where a, a huge company can merge with them and, and sort of with at least part of a straight face say this is, you know, where it's a merger of equals or, you know, something like that. And so we're moving the operations out there. You really can't get a, a very small company uh, and, and have a much larger company buy it and then say, well, we've just got to move our operations right. to <laughs> right. Dublin now. We just bought this three-man <laughs> shop in Dublin. But, you know, some of the economics of uh, Obamacare uh, have, have fueled some of this as well, some of the taxes there. Do you think that, well, let me back up. What do you think it will take for lawmakers across the river on Capitol Hill to change the current economic structure so that companies aren't doing this. Because some people have written, you look at Pfizer, if Pfizer had been able to pull this off uh, with the company they were trying to buy over in the, you know, in the UK, then AstraZeneca. AstraZeneca, yeah. yeah they, uh, that would have gotten people's attention, just because it is Pfizer, because it is, it is bigger, it is well-known. AbbVie, not exactly a household name. I, I don't know, because I think it's, it's a very good question. It presumes that lawmakers from the two political parties that we have these days could get together and reach uh, an agreement on something that would benefit 
the country, you know, that, that is to pursue some sort of tax regime that was competitive with what these companies are going to be looking at. Uh, whereas I think the more likely path, given this situation that, that we find ourselves in, of neither party wanting the other party to, to win any, any political point, is for uh, Republicans to just point at things like this and, and blame Obamacare and think that that will translate into more votes in the next election rather than to say this is a uh, not fully intended consequence of that and let's start fixing it together. I, I think it's it's much more likely that they'll just kick and scream and say vote out all the Democrats and you know that'll convince some people and others will look at it a different way and and I don't think that we're going to see. I mean, nobody expects them to get together and do anything useful before the next election. No, and after that election, probably pretty quickly after that election, we'll agree that they're not going to try to do anything together until after the next election. Yeah, I think in early 2015, then there will be all of the stories about who's going to run for president in 2016 right. and jockeying for all of that. So I don't see any any real change to the tax code before 2016. And then you've got to have somebody again. So 2017, so it's a good three, four years before <laughs> anything could conceivably happen. There was an obituary I read, I think it was sometime last week, Howard Baker uh, f- former uh, leader in the United States Senate, a uh, senator from, longtime senator from Tennessee, had died, had a very distinguished career. And it just, it just, when you were talking about the current state of affairs, it reminded me of that because Howard Baker was um, someone who was more inclined to look for ways to work with people from the other party. Um, and uh, yes, he was a, a proud member of the Republican Party, but he was also someone who was willing to compromise. He is the one who, uh, during the Watergate hearings in the 70s, um, uh, he was the one who, uh, on the committee, he famously said, you know, what did the president know and when did he know it, that sort of thing. But it was, it, it, I don't know, I'm, now I'm getting slightly morose for a time <laughs> when legislators of both parties actually worked together. I, we, we all are, aren't we? I mean, I, my... my Wife is going to. She used to work on the hill. I was going back to a little reunion party of, of that, and it was, it was trying to explain the concept to our children of when she worked on on the hill and how parties occasionally you know, in everybody's memory now it's everybody worked together. You know, after fighting during the day, they'd all go out and have drinks together, and everybody was friends. But I, I don't know if that that's a little bit of um, hagiography, hey but. Uh, <laughs> But it's it's unfortunate that nobody thinks that uh, a very interesting state of affairs exists today in terms of getting anything done. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at MarketFuller is our handle. Uh, some some comments I thought worth bringing up that we've gotten from some of our listeners, um, uh, all of which relate to I think the last time you were on. Uh, Tobin Anthony wrote on Twitter, classic episode. Jeff Fisher's 10-minute discourse on option plays. I had to listen three times before finally getting it. So did I. So we, when we were when you were talking about the idea that hey, you know, rerun some classic episodes and, <laughs> and do any exist? Yeah, that was. Yeah, I remember Jeff Fisher sitting at this table, breaking and taking about 10 minutes to break down option plays, and thinking, yeah, I, we're going to have to move on here because uh, <laughs> my head hurts. Um, in relation to our conversation about Paris. Uh, Tatiana Kildesheva wrote, You must visit the catacombs when you are in Paris. The line is easily endured 
with delicious local ice cream. I think any any line is e- easily endured. Really, anything. Ice, anything is endured. <laughs> Surgery. So did you go to the catacombs? When I did were, not go to the catacombs. Uh, she posted a picture as well, which it's it's like what this massive grave or of some sort or sure I, as yes, the name would suggest it, that's what <laughs> uh and finally uh, a question from bert skirton uh in relation to our conversation about uh, the latest recall from general motors he wrote uh the general motors recall equaling 29 million cars or do, or do some cars have multiple recalls on them it's a great question i actually kicked it around with um blake boss and rex moore two of the the people who uh, covered the automotive industry on fool.com, we came to sort of the collective agreement that uh, it's probably 29 million vehicles, that there might be some overlap, but it would be minimal at best. But like, even if it's an overlap of you know, you know, a million or two million cars, then fine. It's only 27 million individual cars, and yet two million of them have multiple recalls on them. Yeah, that I, I I don't know the answer to the question, and uh, I think that a a recall. I mean, if you get your car recalled twice, that's I think worse than having two right. cars recalled once. Why do you think it? And we talked about this a little bit last week, but why do you think this is not having any sort of negative effect on GM sales? Because on the day we talked about this, they had announced the recall of. Eight and a half million cars, but they also announced monthly sales, and the monthly sales news trumped the recall news. And and up till that point, more than 20 million vehicles had been recalled in 2014. And in the month of June, people were walking onto the lot and saying, yep, I'll take that. Well, I think that it does have some effect that you can't really measure what are the additional sales that may have been lost uh, by this. Uh, and I think that there is work by a GM that is successful in categorizing this as uh, a, you know a product of the past the old GM the the pre bankruptcy GM and that they've got you know a new you, you can you can go out and buy a car and you're gonna I was listening to a very good episode of this American life which I'll always uh, talk about to you and you never are convinced to actually listen to it because you don't have the the drive that I have which is I don't when, have the commute that you have when I end up listening to it so uh, and it was about a car dealership and then just following this car dealership uh, during their month of trying to hit their their goal for the year and you learn a lot about the car industry and and how cars are sold and why they are sold and um, when to buy them and who to buy them from uh, at any rate uh, I think that if you go in and you're looking and you're thinking about buying a GM car, the person selling it to you is going to be able, if he or she is any good at all, uh, of working with the facts and uh, to characterize this as whatever you've heard about those 2009, 2010, 2008 problems, that's not happening now. You know, this car, you know, car salesmen, successful ones, are going to be able to convince you or enough people, apparently, based on the numbers, that these are not problems that you will ever see in the car that you're buying today. I can't agree with this fictional <laughs> car salesman that I've just created, that there aren't going to be any problems with GM cars today, but that's certainly the story that they're going to be telling. And it, apparently, in the numbers, they've, they've, got, they've got some success. And it, it makes some sense. I mean, we know that they were 
you know, restructure. We know that there is new management. We know that right. there are changes into the in the company. I I I think you're right. Uh, what you said at the beginning there that we we it's almost unknowable. It probably is unknowable what additional sales they may have had. And in fact, if someone is walking onto the lot, then at some level, they've already made the decision that the recalls that they've heard about do not matter to them. That for someone who is negatively affected by the recall news, they're looking at the universe of cars they're going to buy, and they're saying, well, I've eliminated anything from General Motors, and now I'm just going to focus on Ford, Honda, Toyota, you know, whoever else. Yeah, and everybody else. The the world of car sales is generally continuing to do better. So you know, GM gets its slice of that, and and other car companies are also selling more, more cars. Uh, before we wrap up, you mentioned on what you listened to on This American Life, there were some tips. W- w- give me a tip for you know, give our listeners a tip for like, hey, what's what's something we should know if we're going to walk on the lot, or w- is there a particular time of the month that's good to buy a car? Yeah, if if you could know what the dealerships goal for the month is uh, and how close they are at the end of the month, then you would know whether to buy a car from them or not. Because at least as reported in, in this story, and This American Life is, is both entertainment and reporting, um, you know, there are dealerships- that Unlike are, this podcast, we don't report. We're not doing no, really. reporting. We, we're opining. <laughs> we're not fact-checking. Nobody's fact-checking this, are they? I I like to think that I generally have my facts. We try to stick to the facts we as we know them, but yes. nobody's checking this, right? I mean, the listeners, of course, correcting, you know, sure. people that have, uh, and you correct things on, on air. Yeah. When I walk in the room, I like to have as many of the facts in front of me, and if I don't have facts, I like to call that out. Hopefully, right. I, I do a right. decent for, job. For instance, that. like, we're going to talk to you about a story I just read, and oh, by the way, I haven't finished reading it. <laughs> we'll admit I didn't that. actually make it all the way to the end of the <laughs> Disney story. <laughs> I got to the title. Uh, but yeah, the end of the, end of the month, they'll, they'll sell if there is such a huge incentive for hitting the number that is given to them by uh, the manufacturer that dealerships will sell cars at below cost to hit that because they get all of the bonus or none of the bonus based on hitting that number. And it is worth their while to sell cars at a loss to you at the end of the month to make that number. But it sounds like you can't necessarily assume that the last day of the month is the day because for all you know, they hit their goal the day before. So you want to get there Right at the edge. Yeah, if of- you could somehow know that, and maybe you can pick up on that by by their desperation, <laughs> at, at least as as one gathers it from this story, uh, and it's uh, on this American Life. It's it's uh, just called Cars, I think, and it was aired at the end of 2013. Um, but yeah, absolutely, and and they'll if they're calling you up, if if some car dealer uh, is calling you up. On the last day of the month, because you were in there earlier and you know went out, kind of wishing, well, I don't know, I got to think, I got to talk to the spouse, uh, and and they call you at, at 4:30 uh, on on the 31st. Take that call, <laughs> take that call, because you may be getting a great deal. We will end there. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. You know, buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Forward. Show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.